This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday Twilight Show. I'm your host, Michelle, and tonight I have two amazing guests, Hannah Brown and Sarah Wilkinson Crew, both successful educators. They will join me on a journey down memory lane as we explore the evolution of technology in education. Stay tuned. Is it a blessing or a curse? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And that's exactly... Hi everyone and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. I'm your host, Michelle, and uh, tonight I have two special guests. I've got Mrs. Hannah Brown and I've got Mrs. Sarah Wilkinson Crew, both successful educators. They will join me as I journey down memory lane to explore the evolution of technology in education. We'll be questioning, is it a blessing or a curse? So join in the discussion. It's my first time on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm not sure if uh, you heard the intro. My apologies if you didn't, but uh, do bear with me. So at the moment, I can see one of my guests and I'm waiting my other guest. But I will proceed anyway and I will start by welcoming uh, my lovely Sarah Wilkinson Crude, who is an associate assistant principal and English teacher. She has been a member of this noble profession for the last 10 years. And uh, we await Hannah Brown, who will uh, be joining us as well. I think Hannah is here. Yes, she is indeed. And they're both teachers from the garden uh, of England, and that is Kent, and they've taught in various contexts. And so tonight, we just want to have a look at the evolution of technology in education, where we're coming from, where we are at the moment. We want to look at some of the pitfalls and the challenges and how it's impacted on our teaching and learning today. But I just wanted to share this because on Monday, I walked into the staff room and I overheard colleagues talking about uh, the good old days and the excitement was palpable. You could feel the excitement. And so tonight we want to capture that. So join me as my uh, special guests and I will discuss, you know, the good old days. Were they really? Or the age of technology, a blessing or a curse? So I think it's important that I give you some background and context. And I think the best starting point would be my experience. As you can tell, I'm probably the veteran uh, of the three of us online tonight. And, uh, and so I just wanted to go back a little bit to where I began. And undoubtedly, we, we will all agree that 
education is dynamic and every year seems different. I mean, no two years seem the same, whether it's changes in technology, pedagogy, behavior, policies, you name it. And so I thought, why not take a look at how far we have come, especially in terms of teaching resources and access to technology. So my career began in the early 90s. And uh, to be exact, 1993. And that is three whole decades. This means that I have witnessed the transformation of the classroom and educational provision. I, I, I think it's safe to say I have seen it all. But what was it like? Firstly, uh, my early careers uh, started in Kingston, Jamaica, where I was young and enthusiastic, passionate about teaching, educating the next generation. Uh, to be honest, that hasn't changed. Still young and enthusiastic and uh, still very, very passionate about educating future generations. So what resources did I have at my disposal? Uh, and before I even continue, thanks for those of you already texting in. Um, it'd be great to get a thumbs up if I am loud and clear. That would be awesome. Thank you so much, Emily, for letting me know that. Awesome. Thank you so much. So um, what resources did I have at my disposal back in the day, so to speak? Of course, textbooks, workbooks. Now, that hasn't changed much, as in most subjects, you'll agree, we, we still rely on those. But what we didn't have at the time were the software to support such workbooks. Um, you know, today, for example, different publishers, they share these textbooks. I remember, I don't even know if it still exists, but we would get these textbooks with uh, these shiny CDs attached at the back of them. And that was just brilliant. So we didn't have that back in the early 90s. And, and mind you, I said I started off in Kingston, Jamaica. We didn't have PowerPoints to accompany these presentations. It was teacher talk all the way. That was rife. And I know some of you are saying, oh, wow, teacher talk, Michelle. Ooh, shock horror, how could you? Uh, lessons need to be student-led. And of course, that has its place. But back then, there was no way of escaping it. And it was very effective because we had to use the resources that were at our disposal at the time. And to add some intrigue, uh, we would of course use what we have, what we call the equivalent of the sugar paper today. And we had cartridge paper, just a thicker version. And I remember mentioning that to one of my younger colleagues today. And she said, cartridge paper, what's that? But it was just a thicker version of the sugar paper. And as an English teacher, for example, I remember I would draw my characters on these uh, sheets of paper, stick them on the board, and got my students to come up and write their adjectives to describe the characters and their personalities and so on. I would get the art teacher to help me with the drawing. And for me, that was innovative. I mean, I, I also had to rely on all the tools like drama to keep the students engaged. And I remember taking students out in the playground to reenact different scenes from the texts that we were reading. 
Uh, we still do that today, mind you. So I'm not saying we don't use these things today, but then we didn't have a lot of options. Today, for example, as teachers, we can bring the drama to them. As teachers, we can uh, show them clips here and there, take them on trips wherever to get them to experience it. Back then when I started, and I'm speaking uh, in my context, uh, we've, we didn't really have that. So we had to be really creative. And I remember a colleague of mine once brought in her telly with a DVD player. We got all the students to gather in the hall to watch the film version of a text. And I'm telling you, listeners, students appreciated it. They were in awe. They all gathered, everybody wanting to have the best view of this uh, television as we made the text that they were reading come alive. And if I should cast my mind even further back, and I'm, I'm talking about way back when I was a high school student, I remember my year nine English teacher, she made us listen to The Merchant of Venice on cassette tapes. That for me was revolutionary. I think that's when I affirmed that this is what I wanted to do. I was in awe. I was a rapt audience member in that classroom. And I was thinking, oh, that's something I would love to do. And so at that time, that was novel. That was exciting. And I just wanted to be a part of that. And I can see some messages coming in as well. Thank you so much for joining, uh, Kelly. And I'm uh, looking forward to your questions and your contributions as well. So what were some of the advantages of that? Now, I'm going to say this, and it's not meant to be controversial, but at the time, as a teacher, we had to read widely and well in advance. Yes, we had hard copies of revision guides and notes, but we had to incorporate these in our lesson plans and transmit them to our students via note-taking. And it means, therefore, that note-taking had to be explicitly taught. Today, we try to get our students to take notes, but later on in the show, we'll talk about some of those challenges. We had to do our analysis of texts and work collaboratively to ensure students got the same message. I'm not saying we don't do that today, but what we have today uh, is the aid of technology. We have search engines we have social media. So that is just a synopsis of my very, very early years. Because as I said before, I've been doing this for three whole decades. So I've got lots of experiences to share and I'm sure my uh, guests will be able to share with us as well. But before we continue, um, and I'm going to hand over to one of my guests just to share her early years as well. We'll take a, sh a short break and hear from one of our sponsors. Do stay tuned. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. 
in oh that is good to hear so please check that out and uh let's continue our discussion so just before the break and uh sarah i can see that you're there get ready to share with us um make sure uh, we're all set and uh i'd love to hear what you've got to say as well so just before the break i shared a little about my early years in teaching and uh Oh, I'm sure, Sarah, you're probably still in school at the time. I have absolutely no doubt. Now, what do you recall about the teaching resources at the time? What do you remember, Sarah, about uh, your teacher and resources? <laughs> Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Um, so, well, my early years of teaching, which was sort of 10 years ago now, that there was the tablets and all the phones weren't as prevalent uh, as they are now. But when I was a student, as you were saying earlier, about you, I was in school when you first started teaching. Um, <laughs> and back then, you would get excited if someone wheeled out a telly on wheels. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, and nowadays, yeah, it's, it's completely different, isn't it? Definitely. Definitely. And we'll explore that later on. But yes, yes, Sarah, thank you so much. I would have been one of those teachers wheeling out the telly. And we'll talk about that a little bit more because they weren't any ordinary telly. OK, so younger listeners, wait for my description later on. Um, so for me, one of the major changes was the transition from chalkboard. Huh, I'm going way back now, OK, from chalkboard to whiteboards okay to interactive whiteboards that's how long i have been around and uh, later on we'll look at the distinctions between the whiteboards and the interactive whiteboards so let's talk about the chalkboard and using chalk and uh for those of you who've never heard of chalk before uh, uh go and look it up you'll see it it did exist so initially i used chalk to deliver my lessons, to write notes on the board. And I am not kidding you. There was dust everywhere. I said to some colleagues today, if you want to test if you've done a really good lesson, look at the amount of dust you're covered with by the end. Every different color. It's in your hair, it's in your clothes, it's on your skin. And sadly, it's on those students who happen to be sitting at the front of the room. It's on the furniture. It's everywhere. And I'm sure some of that chalk was collected in our lungs. I kid you not, because some of us would be coughing and spewing at the end of a lesson, especially as an English teacher where we're constantly writing. Now, it didn't stop there because we were introduced to dustless chalk. And believe it or not, that was life changing. No longer coughing after every lesson because of dust inhalation. Those of us who traveled overseas at the time from Jamaica uh, in our summer break, we would be so happy to come back with dustless chalk. I mean, that for us was advancement. Now, I remember we had to be so resourceful and I was reminding my mom of this as well. To get students to write descriptive pieces, I kid you not listeners and Sarah, I would get my tape recorder, my cassette tapes, make my way to the local market, record the sounds, and then played it back to my students. And they loved it. They were like, oh, miss, 
when did you do that? So that they could uh, visualize it and use all the senses that they possibly could to write their descriptions. I'm sure you know today, it's right at the click of a button, everything we need. But that's how I started. So all you long, younger lis uh, listeners, you need to respect these veterans because everything that we did <laughs> paved the way for everything else that we have today. I have no doubt about that. And it's quite so, yeah. interesting, Michelle. Yes. I'm going to yes, jump please in here because, you Go know, for it. Well, as a student, uh, of being a student of being taught on a chalkboard, um, in England we had these lovely rolling chalkboards that they kind of they were on I don't know what they were on they were on wheels or something and we used to roll them and we used to play pranks on our teachers you can imagine you know 13 year old Sarah was a little bit cheeky so you know write something a little bit rude on one side and then when the teacher rolled it round there'd be uh, you know something where we'd all be sniggering at the teacher because um because they'd rolled the board round which of course you know they would they would literally just Right, wipe it off yeah. with their very heavy wooden duster. Oh, they, yes. had. they had a wooden, the big heavy wooden ones, um, yes. and they'd rub it off and carry on as normal. But yes, and you know, I've, I found that really funny <laughs> as a 13 year old. Fantastic. Oh, yes, I can imagine. And you talked about those lethal dusters. My mom told me stories of those dusters back in the day, which I dare not repeat. <laughs> But those dusters uh, had multi, multi purposes. And um, Kelly, thank you. Kelly said she was very fond of those uh, telly lessons because they were novel. Oh, yeah, dustless chalk indeed, Jamelia. We had those and we felt like we were so advanced back then with our dustless chalk. Thank you for that, Sarah. And, um, and so eight years later, I left Jamaica and I moved to the UK. This was in 2001 to continue my teaching career. I had a whiteboard at this point and board markers. And wow, I was like, oof, amazing. Now, mind you, it was not yet interactive. I was still cutting up papers for students to stick to the board, but now I had unlimited access to a photocopier so I could make my own resources. Um, online resources still weren't that popular then, actually. So I had nothing to refer to for exam text, for instance, and, and this is my recollection. I remember taking all those anthologies and going through it and annotating the poems and looking at language and structure and form all on my own. Um, and, uh, you know, even then, that, that, I mean, that was exciting. But then we were introduced to overhead projectors. Imagine that. We had acetate and if you're listening please download the podbean app and tell us your experiences because those acetates were life-changing if anybody remembers those sarah i don't know if you recall your teacher coming in with acetate so we could write on them and do all sorts of amazing things with them yes i do i do remember the ohp <laughs> that's what they used to call oh, yes. ohp <laughs> And I used to wheel that oh, out, yes. and yeah, and he thought, yeah, we're going to have some, you know, it's going to be good this because they're going to write on the acetate, which we yes. found funny because sometimes if it was, you know, a bit, there was a bit of wind or something, it would blow the acetate off <laughs> the, the OHP, which we found hilarious. I mean, we were such a lovely group of children, weren't we? I can tell, I can yeah. tell. <laughs> yes. But yes. it was great. It was good for science lessons and maths lessons. I used to do a lot of like diagrams and things like that on the, on the yeah. OHP. On the yeah, OHP. It was, a, it was yeah, it was a cumbersome 
thing, really, to pulled it out the cupboard, which is where the telly lived as well. They lived in the same <laughs> cupboard. So you'd have a glimpse of that telly and you'd be like, oh, are they going to bring the telly out? But they didn't. It was the OHP. Yeah, it was, it was the OHP. And I noticed the common theme here, Sarah, it's the everything is on wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything was on wheels. It had everything to be. Was on wheels. Yeah, everything. Oh. And some, oh. like the, you know, with the OHPs as well, if a teacher had borrowed it in another room and, you know, you'd get sent as students to go and find this OHP. And, yep. of course, again, we're children and we think it's hilarious to push it down the corridor on these <laughs> rickety old wheels. So, yeah, it was great fun. Just, just slide down the corridor. Slide with, down oh, with this OHP, yes. yeah. Oh, yes. Thanks, thanks for confessing, Sarah. Some teachers yeah. sitting there thinking, oh, <laughs> Thank you so much. But from a teacher's perspective at the time, I mean, this too was just something that was welcoming and we would lap up any training we could get. When we learned that we could photocopy on acetates, oh boy, that was brilliant. I, I started having a file of acetates and I thought that was just me until the teacher in the staff room on Monday said, oh, I missed my acetate file. So we were excited about these things. Now, Sarah mentioned the, the OHPs uh, and we had to wheel them in if from another teacher. Sometimes we had to book them just like we had to book the telly. And these were the heavy ones, you know, the ones with the back jutting out. Then we would wheel it into our classroom and we would play <laughs> DVDs and all of that uh, and excite our students and get them to really love and engage in the learning. So we would do that. And then I remember when each classroom was given a smaller version of a telly that was mounted in its cage on the wall. Oh, now that was progress. Now, mind you, it was a tiny <laughs> telly, maybe 20 inches. Listen, I don't teach maths. I'm not good with sizes, but yeah, really small. And today I think, how did our students at the back of the room see those screens? But it was amazing. We were so happy to have that. Um, and again, another bit of progress for us, revolutionary. Now, I thought I was innovative and I thought I was cutting edge. So I used to book the camcorder. Now the camcorder was a massive structure itself. And I would wheel that into my classroom, record my students, and then play it back to them on my, on my DVDs and get them to peer assess. So peer assessment didn't start today, mind you. It's been around. It's evolved. It's taken on different shapes and forms and formats, but it's been around. I used to do that with my uh, massive camcorder. And then the explosion, the technology boom, exciting. But are there pitfalls? Are there challenges? Are there struggles as a result of this? So before my guests, and um, unfortunately, I don't know what happened, but uh, Hannah, for whatever reason, didn't join us. I don't know if I didn't allow her to enter quickly enough, but Hannah, my apologies. Stay tuned and uh, still still share with us in, in our chat. Um, would love to hear your opinions as well. And so before um, before Sarah 
gives us some more information now, not just about herself as a student, but as a teacher in her, in her early career, then uh, we're going to take another short commercial break. Do stay tuned and remember to use the Podbean app to call in or text your questions or share your own memories. I would be delighted to hear them. Stay tuned. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. Awesome. I've got great news for you listeners because my other special guest, Hannah Frown, who is Senko and been a teacher for over 15 years. She is now with us. I am so excited. So welcome, Hannah, and uh, I would love to hear from you shortly. Uh, so um, just before the break, we were sharing our experiences in the early days, me from the perspective of a teacher, Sarah from the perspective of a student. And so, Hannah, I would love to hear from you now. Uh, what were some of your experiences as a student? Because as I said before, you were probably in primary school or beginning of secondary school when I walked into the classroom back in the day. So do uh, unmute and let's hear your experience as a student. Hi, Michelle. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Welcome Wonderful. and thanks Hi. for joining. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so when I was a student and I sat my GCSEs in 98, my A-levels in 2000 for context, um, very much as uh, you guys already said, I remember um, TVs on wheels being wheeled in. I remember um, for RE, we used to have to go to the video room, which is always exciting because we got to go up the stairs and have a little chat with our friends uh, and get in trouble along the way. Um, I remember singing hymns and assembly using the overhead projector. I remember my teachers in primary and secondary having overhead projectors. Um, I don't remember them having um, like the proper data projectors we have now. Okay. By the time I started working in a school in 2005, though, they did have those projectors everywhere. Um, okay. Then, okay. Yeah. So the projectors came uh, when you were in school. Mm. Uh, somewhat, yes. Somewhat. Um, some of the in my early teaching career, some of the things thinking back, um, I remember that all the resources were on paper. We had internet access somewhat across the school. Um, for staff anyway, but all the resources were on paper. So if you wanted to check the scheme of work, you had to get the key and go to the cupboard and dig through the paper. And someone had taken the last copy of something and everything just took longer. Yeah, um, yes, we did, I can we imagine. Have, I... Yeah, yeah we go ahead. Email as standard. So we didn't have email as standard in the classroom. I mean, we had mm -hmm. access to it at home, but not at school. And I remember when I needed uh, to get someone to, um, not at the school I work at now, I needed someone to come and support with some bad behaviour and, and remove a student. And no one would take a note to the office and I couldn't just email them. And we didn't have phones in the classroom, so that was a challenge. Um, oh, yes. And um, 
the main thing that I think has changed for me was the mark book because I had to keep everything on paper um, oh, yes. and kind of marking all the work and um, something that's really e much easier now is we can do kind of reading tests online and we can take homework online and set homework on teams and it all just seems to take a lot longer and um, as a student and a teacher student planners were a lot more important then um, no one cares about the planners these days really um, but they <laughs> yeah. were your life when you were at school because you really did have to put all your homework and, and things in there. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, Hannah, I just wanted you to elaborate a little bit on the teacher planner that we had to record everything in them. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you managed to use that effectively back then and to keep a track of all your records? Well, if I'm honest, I don't know how effectively I did ever use it actually, um, but I tried. Mm -hmm. So, um, the first thing was I had to make sure that every class I had to physically write out the student register um, by hand. And yes. um, it was always a little bit annoying if someone joined the class late or if they left because you're crossing out. And then across the top you had to write your assignments and mark, you know, what have they got? And there wasn't room for, you know, you can add comments and, and expand col columns and things now. And um, that was quite tricky. And then having to keep track of everything in a physical diary making sure you knew when things were happening. Um, I used to try and keep copies of worksheets um, at the back of the planner. That didn't work well, so I have a separate folder for those on my desk. And um, mm -hmm. you'd have a huge physical folder for lesson plans because um, this is around the time I was doing my teacher training in my first year. So you know, I had to kind yes. of put information from that there, um, all your information about SEN and that kind of thing, um, somewhere in your folder. And, Honestly, I lived in fear of leaving my folder or my teacher planner around somewhere as well because yeah. I didn't want to lose all that information. It contained everything. Everything. Yes, yeah. thank you so Half much. Passwords too sometimes. <laughs> exactly, and, and all the important dates and everything. And I have found that, you know, over the last few years, I order these planners and I don't really use them of such because everything is now online. So I get my planners because it's standard to do that. And you jot down a few things here and there. But in terms of a register and all of that, I, I find that I'm using it less and less over the years. Um, thank you, Hannah. So, Sarah, could you talk us through your early years, your ECT years, access to technology as teaching aids and some of the challenges? So if you go way back, what was it like for you? Hello again. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm thinking all the way back now. Well, I say all the way back. It's only ten years, but um, it feels like a long time ago. <laughs> Once you get into yeah. teaching, the years just roll by. Um, so I used, again had a planner, um, and, ev and exactly the same as Hannah you used to have to write everything out. But we were, I think, my first, my very first placement. We did have laptops, but they were the big. The sort of chunkier, not like these the Chromebooks and things that you can get now, which are quite light. Um, yeah. the technology even ten years ago just just wasn't there really. Yeah. Um, so we had we did have the laptops and things, but we didn't. I, I still used my um, planner to to write everything in. So I still used it for my lessons and wrote my lessons down in those, and then all of my mark sheets and everything. Um, whereas now I, I have ordered one. I ordered a very lovely one from a very nice place. Um, and I haven't mention. touched it. I will not <laughs> mention it, but it, I haven't touched it. 
Um, yeah. Because I do everything online now, and it and it's it's so much easier. And I don't like you said uh, earlier. Is it a blessing or a curse? Because it's made me a little bit lazy, I suppose. I'm just copying and paste names over and things now, rather than writing everything out by hand. But, yeah. you know, it had its place at the time. At the time. Thank you for that. And, and that's the question. Is it a blessing or a curse? Are we becoming too dependent on technology? So those were the early years. And I just wanted to go back a little bit because I mentioned uh, earlier from chalkboard to whiteboard to interactive whiteboard. And so when I was first introduced to the interactive whiteboard, I don't know if you recall, we had those whiteboards that you had to collaborate and the students loved it. Everybody wanted to go and uh, realign the board because what would happen is if you didn't realign it, you'd be writing in the center of the board and the writing would be in the far left or the far right, or it would be delayed. And so the tallest students always wanted to go and click those little crosses to recalibrate, so that to, to calibrate the board. So that's how far we've come. Um, one of my colleagues even reminded me that uh, when she just started, they had the boards, the whiteboards that were like a blind, like a roller blind. And you could roll it down and write on it, roll it up and do some other notes underneath it, then clean it and back and forth. So, yeah, we've come a long way. I'm sure you will all agree. And uh Thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, so good to see you. Somebody gave a, gave a shout out to the OHP. Yeah, we loved them. Um, I don't know, maybe one of these days we'll go back to the OHP and find some other use for it. But thank you, ladies, for um, sharing your early years. And yes, I agree. We're no longer using those um, planners as we did back then because everything is online and we can copy and paste um, and just add our data and all the spreadsheets and everything that's available. Um, and then uh, Charlie said, our teachers would frequently write with real pen on the, oh yes, oh yes. And ladies, you can tell me if you made that mistake. We would often write <laughs> write on the interactive whiteboards with real pens and, uh, and then realize when it was too late. Oh, that is so true. I think I have done that a few times. And then you realize, oh my goodness. Um, oh yeah, it was the mark of shame, Charlie. I totally agree that, oh, that teacher is not paying attention. Oh, I remember those days. I don't know if Sarah or Hannah <laughs> had, the, uh, had that experience where you just picked up the wrong pen, especially if it was a permanent marker. You would really have to befriend the cleaners to give you the best or to use the best chemical that they have to clean those boards. So those were some of the early days. Yes. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Michelle. Well, I, I've learned now, and actually I did it today when I took out a, a pen from my cupboard and I did a little dot in the top right-hand corner and wiped it out <laughs> with my finger just to check because it never quite leaves you. When you do that the first time, you never, ever do it again. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And you panic, you're like, ooh, but, but that's that, you know, the, back in the day with my chalk, I didn't have to worry about that. I just erase it, move on to the next idea. So yeah, so we've come a long way. And I just wanted to go back to computers. And if anybody's online, you can uh, share your experience with that as well. Because Sarah, I think you mentioned um, having those chunky computers or laptops. But for me, we had the desktops. They didn't move. They stayed there and you would go in, log in, <laughs> uh, plug in your device 
and that is it. And to be honest, not so long ago in some schools, we still had desktops. Would you agree? Yeah, I've, a lot of a lot of schools now have moved away from the desktop, haven't they? But um, yes. yeah, the desk desktops are really important. In fact, I remember you know when I was in my very first school, we did have the the, the laptops, but when we got to school, we also had the old desktops because the school didn't want to get rid of those those desktops yet. But they yeah. took up a lot of space. These oh, were yeah. big ones, not these nice thin <laughs> ones that you have now. They they took up half the desk. And you had yes. to like sort of move it, move the keyboard just so you could get your mark book open. And, you know, it was, yeah, really yeah. big. So true. And we've just seen things transition over the years. And, you know, continuing to talk about computers, uh, one of my colleagues said he's going even further back to access the Internet. You had to dial up and you oh, had yes. to wait. I remember those yeah. days, yeah. don't we? Oh, Yes. Hannah, yeah, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I remember I was about 14 when our school got its first dial-up internet connection and students would be allowed to go in and have a lunchtime using it on the internet completely unsupervised, which was a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> my, the school I work in now still has desktops. And when I came to work there, having worked in schools where we all had laptops, I asked the IT department, you know, we're we upgrading, and they said, oh, no, laptops just don't have the life. After two or three years, we've got to replace them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. Oh, yes. But um, you are so right about uh, the laptops as well. So now, you know, we all have our individual laptops. We can bring them home. We could plan our lessons from home back then, you know. Oh, that that reminds me. So at the moment, um, lots of schools are USB free. So you're not allowed to go in and plug in your USBs. I remember um, back in the day, if I must say so, um, back in the day, um, we would have USBs and you would treasure those. Everything was stored on your USB. So you would plan your lessons, you would save them, you would have files and folders, and you would make sure that if you're moving from school to school, you kept your USBs. I don't know if you've ever used those, Sarah. I'm sure you have. You, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We all remember the USBs. In fact, I remember my teacher training year, all of my lessons, all of my work was on the USB and I left it at the university library and I, th I think I cried because <laughs> literally, yep. like you said, you kept everything on there. I managed to get it back. It was okay. It was in a bright pink pencil case and found in the library. But... <laughs> You know, those days, yeah, and you, you can't now, you can't plug it in. It's all, everything's on the cloud. Everything's so, on the cloud. I feel a bit old now because um, at my school, we don't have laptops. We have to use a desktop and then our own home computers if you want to do stuff at home. And I still do back everything that's important up on my memory stick. And I get annoyed with myself if I forget to do it for a little while, um, even though I don't probably need to anymore. Uh, so you still use your memory stick? Yeah, I do. And occasionally when we've had... Um, internet outages at school I've been really grateful for it because uh, from time to time I copy my folders from school onto my memory stick so I've got my lessons and things and a couple of times I um in fact once recently I couldn't get the file I wanted because um the school internet had gone down and I had it on my memory stick and so I was able to get an older version of the worksheet couldn't print it of course but I could <laughs> yes. show it on the screen and say yeah. to the student that this is what I'm talking about um but I probably don't need to do that anymore but I have always got it in my computer although at my school you can't save or use anything from a memory stick unless you've encrypted it already. Well, oh, yes. Why exactly? Yes. GDPR, perhaps? Yeah, perhaps. I was going to talk about that as well, because sometimes the USBs or the memory sticks, they got corrupted. 
and then you were in big trouble. You couldn't get your resources that you've worked so hard to put together and there were all sorts of problems. Or as you said, Sarah, you would misplace them. You'd be running around, where's my USB? Or you would have too many by this and you don't remember. I would label mine actually. I would put a sticky label around it and I would label to identify which one was which. And that was back then. And Charlie's just sharing that his dad paid over a hundred pounds for a USB stick, 512 MB uh, USB stick that he would wear around his neck with pride. Oh, I could imagine. That's because you don't want to lose it. So you would do whatever it took to protect those USBs. Thank you so much, ladies. And um, uh, one of my colleagues at work said when she was in school, actually, they didn't have, they didn't even have desktops yet, but a parent would donate an old computer that would sit in the corner and the teacher would protect it with all their heart and their lives and make sure that none of the students went near it. And um, just to backtrack a little bit as well, one of them was reminding me as well of her time in school when they went to the telly room. And it was really tiny, but it was exciting because that was something different. So we've had a look at where we're coming from and some of the things we, we had to do back then and the access that we had to resources and to technology. And now we want to look at how things have changed over the years and are there any challenges? So we can really look at it comparatively, um, Hannah and Sarah, or we can just look at where we're at at the moment. How has things changed over the years? Do we still have challenges and what are they? So, Sarah, I'll start with you first. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so things, things have changed quite drastically, haven't they? Even in the last two to three yeah. years, really. And I think COVID had a massive impact on the technology that we use today. Yes. Um, one of the things I have noticed over the years that's changed is that when I first started teaching, I knew quite a lot about computers because I, I wasn't, you know, I, I knew a little bit about Word and things like that. But I've noticed the children know an awful lot now. So it got sort of after about two to three years into teaching and something would happen, I'd lose a connection or something. And the child would say, I know how to fix that. And <laughs> yes. they would tell me how to fix it. And I think, oh, my goodness, I've, you know, I've lost my ability <laughs> to know what yep. technology is doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that the children have definitely had, have got a different perspective on technology. Yeah, because they were brought up on it, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, that unlike was, some know, of us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I've seen two year olds, one year old flicking through phones and, uh, go, you know, choosing what they want to watch and just doing it so comfortably. And I'm like, I cannot imagine that I am around to witness this happening where babies can access technology and so efficiently. Uh, Hannah, could you share with us, please, your observation of the changes over the years and yeah. some of the challenges? So, um, Sarah, I, I totally agree with um, with you about students saying, well, I can fix that. And when you're trying to get the whiteboard to connect and things, it's amazing. What I have found, though, is they don't know how to use a Word document or how to email. Um, they don't get taught that anymore. They get taught coding, but they don't get taught how to actually use a Word document. Um, when I went to my second school from about 2010 to about 2014, it was a new school and the idea was that everyone had laptops. And so the students had uh, laptops in the classroom. And yes. uh, the trouble we found was it was um, it took ages to get the laptops out 
um, and in. And the students wanted their own laptops because otherwise it would vandalise them. And then you'd just get to a critical point in the lesson and the power would start to go or the internet would crash. And um, mm-hmm. the trouble with having a laptop all day and some schools I know use tablets is how do you charge them and keep them charged? We have a few yes. students at school who use laptops and that's still an issue. But then, of course, it's also um, making sure that they're using them for what they're supposed to and they're not quickly looking on the internet and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. If you don't give them internet, then they can't save their files. So you've got to give them access to the internet. So those things are a bit more of a challenge, I would say. Yeah, and, um, I totally agree. Go yeah. on. And setting homework. I mean, I much prefer setting homework. We use Teams at school. Other providers are available. Um, but the trouble is, it makes it really, really easy. The new version of my dog ate my homework is my internet went down or my computer wouldn't open Teams. Yes. And we think that's not true, but in some cases it is. So we have to treat it like it is true. Um, yeah. And there's lots of, you know, we get told about this new Wizzy app to try and use, you know, this thing where you can do quizzes or this thing where you can get people to vote. And how much lesson time is being lost getting the kids to, you know, do those things. And actually, you could just say to them, put your hands up if. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we're halfway there. But the we're halfway challenge. there. That's a good point. Uh, that's a good point. So there are some challenges and there are some benefits, but we cannot deny that there are some challenges. And Hannah, I agree with you. And um, Sarah, I know that you're also in a school where uh, students are encouraged to bring their laptops in or their devices as we say and we have the same issue now first of all they're not allowed to plug them in at school so that in itself was a problem so if you had the students period five or six by then the batteries were drained and so they could not access whatever you wanted them to access and i also agree that yes they would pretend to be working or doing the task that you've set but they would be sneakingly watching a little bit of the football the night before or <laughs> or some other interesting program and pretending to be engaged. And so that is why it's important that we, you know, we walk around and we circulate the classroom. But even so, they are so clever they, and, and quick to get rid of whatever it is and to trick us, the teachers. But that, for me, has been one of the challenges. And even now in my current setting, I tell them, put your, put your devices away. They should not be up, put them down and focus this way, please. Because otherwise, yep, uh, you know, I would say to them, hmm, you look rather engaged. I am sure it's not the lesson that's taking your interest uh, or that's piquing your interest. And it's often other things. So that I find is one of the challenges. Um, Sarah, you mentioned the pandemic and the impact it's had on education and the use of technology. And I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit and tell me some of the things that you've noticed as a result of the pandemic and us using hybrid learning. Well, I think, you know, during during COVID, there was a, we did reduced teach obviously online with the children just sort of sitting there. They were quite passive um, a lot of the time. But one of the things that's come out of, of COVID is 
we, we, I mean, it's, it's very prevalent in the news at the minute is the attendance to school because people think that you can, like some of the children think, well, I, could, I did it in COVID so I can just stay at home and look at what's been uploaded to my cloud mm-hmm. or whatever it might be and I can just teach myself uh, what I need to do. So I think in in that respect, it's it's had an adverse effect. But the, the positives of that, and there are many, many positives, are all of the different apps and the different um, software elements that we can now use in the classroom. There's many, many apps where you can you know you can record yourself as a, as a teacher delivering something and then you can use that as part of homework or something so if you're looking at a poem and you want to just talk about the poem for five minutes you could record yourself doing that and upload it to their digital classroom whatever platform they're using um, yeah. and they can upload it to that and then they could, that can help them with their homework so you know I think COVID has when we had COVID the technology side of it there were obviously some some sort of uh, downfalls which I think yeah. can be, you know, those gaps can be plugged. But there was a lot of software, a lot, you had to learn quickly, things like, yeah. you know, we went, we were talking about OHPs earlier. Well, the equivalent of that is like visualizers. And you could yeah. get a, a visualizer and plug it into your laptop and you could live model something for the, for the students that were online watching you. And, and now that's seeped into the classrooms. We can do that in the classroom as well now using our, our visualizers. We can record ourselves doing it in the classroom, upload it for later on so those children can access it at home. So there, yeah. are, there are lots of positives to it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, um, and uh, equally, some challenges in keeping our students focused and engaged to an extent. And we'll explore that a little bit more. But we have a question from one of our listeners. Charlie, thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to pose this question. I'm going to ask my guests to think about it and give us a response. Do you think teachers have a responsibility to prepare children for the dangers of the online world? So do we have that responsibility to prepare them? Uh, Sarah, do you want to continue and let's hear your point of view? Yeah, I mean, yes, in some respects. I think that's part of um, our kind of safeguarding role as, as adults, look, uh, you know, being with children all day, is that we need to make sure that they are safe. And I think going back to what you said about COVID, one of the things that came out of that was that children were logging on from home in their bedrooms or in their pyjamas and things like that. And, it, you know, quite quickly we had to adapt as teachers to sort of set that expectation that actually we need to be dressed, we need to be in a, a communal room, you know those, yeah. those sorts of things. So I do think I, I I do think to a certain extent that teachers do have a responsibility to make sure that their own students are being kept safe online. Obviously, parents do have a massive role in that when they're at home. Yeah. But you know, one one of the things that you know the the new legislation for the for over, us over in Kent in England is to have this sort of filtering system to keep children safe in education. So we okay. have a filtering system so that even when they're at home, they take their devices home that are school um, given to them by the school, they take them home and they can then, when they're accessing content on the internet, it will be filtered by our filter system from the school, even though they're at home. So they can't okay. access any harmful content. Yeah. Um, and, and it will tell us as a teaching body, well, hang on, this child has gone home and accessed something or tried to, let's have a conversation about it. So, yeah, I do, th- I do think nowadays, I think it's everyone's responsibility, actually, but certainly in the classroom, if you're delivering anything that's online, it definitely needs to be part of the, the teacher's responsibility. Thank you so much. Um, Hannah, what do you think uh, in response to Charlie's question? Yeah. Is it our responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
at school we have some um, kind of TSHE PACE type lessons that do uh, centre on internet safety and some of it is things like you know knowing what the website is and how you know to avoid talking to strangers but also things like avoiding being scammed um, yes I've done a session a couple of times I, I mean not my session I've just had to lead it for PACE day um, on things like the echo chamber and how um, the internet will try and just show you more of what it thinks you believe and so um, how it can kind of radicalize people and that kind of thing and so as well as you know we have a school filter and if someone searches something that's a concern it gets passed on to us so we can talk to them and help them it's also about making sure they understand how information is presented to them and how it's actually often quite biased how it's not reliable and that kind of thing and I think that's also part of keeping them safe I think yeah. also a lot of parents don't take it seriously um, mm -hmm. or their kids are very good at pulling a wool over their eyes and they say oh well you know you're supposed to be um, 12 or 13 to have a Facebook but other people have got it or well you know if I put my age to 18 on Instagram then it's okay because um, I can join groups that I couldn't otherwise and parents let them without necessarily yeah. thinking through the consequences because unlike us they don't hear all the horror stories so I think actually yeah. besides the kids we have a responsibility to help the parents understand as well to keep their children safe but I also think whatever we do is not going to be the whole thing because most of what they do is on their phones and um, we can't control what they do on their mobile phones at home and that's a concern I think. Yeah thank you so much so it's really the responsibility of us as educators but also parents have to be just as vigilant to keep them safe as well. Um, I just want to continue this discussion about some of the challenges. And I had this conversation with members of my current department. And I said, what are some of the challenges that um, you've experienced with the boom in technology and the explosion of technology, so to speak? And you know, they had a lot to say about that. And I think it was Hannah who mentioned that they can't email and do the basics or use Word document. And for me, that's one of the things I have observed as well. And the number of times students have called me over asking me, Miss, how do you open a Word document? And I'm thinking, you're so good at the technical aspects of everything else, but uh, you can't open a Word document. So I don't know if as teachers, you know, we are failing them in that respect or, you know, who's responsible for ensuring that they, they're able to access these things because they will have to use these things in the wider world. And um, some of my other colleagues talked about handwriting and how that is deteriorating as a result of access to technology and they could type their coursework and they don't necessarily have to, to write it. And some students and in some schools, they just use their devices for writing and typing and so on. And teachers are finding that the handwriting is lapsing a little bit. So I'm going to turn over to my guests and just ask, what do you think? Oh, you're welcome, Charlie. You said fascinating answers. Thank you so much. Um, what do you think? Do you think it's technology that's impacting on handwriting or is it that we have stopped teaching that? Because I remember being uh, taught explicitly how to write cursively. Now, unfortunately, for those of you who've been privy to my handwriting, it clearly didn't work, but, uh, and it wasn't technology that affected that. Well, to be honest, in later years, definitely. So ladies, I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, Hannah, we'll start, start with you. So, um... 
I've had a slightly new perspective on this lately because I've started working with Senko, which means that I'm quite involved with the students who have exam access arrangements like a laptop. Um, from what I can gather, students are taught handwriting quite explicitly at primary school still. In secondary okay. schools, we generally don't. But um, I wonder if there is an element for some of those students of thinking, well, if I don't master it, I can use a laptop. Um, and as a teacher as well, and I think sometimes well, it doesn't matter too much if you can't read it, there's no marks, you know, as long as you can read it, there's no marks for handwriting. And if you can't, we'll just apply them to use a laptop. And I, I don't really have a problem with that if um, we have enough laptops, because once they leave work, how much are students going to be handwriting? Um, yeah. So that's a tricky one. Okay, yeah, uh, tricky one indeed. Uh, but let's hear what Sarah has to say. And uh, listeners, if you want to chime in, what's your handwriting like? And uh, is it because of, if it's not very good, is it as a result of technology? Yeah, I mean, I'm an English teacher. Uh, we're losing you a little bit there, Sarah. Uh, I, I don't Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay. So, Sarah, well, yes, we can hear you now. Yes, thank you. Okay, so while Sarah is sorting that, and here we are talking about technology, and these are some of the issues with that. Um, so we're talking about handwriting. Sarah, you want to try again? Sorry, I, I did briefly lose connection on the, okay. on the internet. Not yet. So Sarah that. will sort that out. That's the irony. One of the pitfalls of technology, it will let you down when you need it most. It's always good exactly. to have a backup. Exactly. But sometimes, unfortunately... We can't, but we'll continue anyway. Um, Hannah and I will continue that discussion. And we're talking about handwriting. Another issue that was raised about uh, the access, the easy access to technology is that students no longer seem to have problem solving um, capabilities and the inquisitiveness is no longer there. To what extent do you agree with that, Hannah, that everything is there for them? You need an answer. You just have to speak to something and it gives you the answer. How do you think that's affecting our students? I think in some ways that's true. I mean, people perhaps are a bit less prone to um, being able to do mental arithmetic quickly. Um, although lots of schools, including mine, do really place, place emphasis on still learning. So you've got those facts at your disposal. But I think the curiosity is still there. It's just that yeah. it's for different things. So students have to... Um, if they want to find something out, they've still got to be able to frame the question properly, um, search it and find good sources. Um, I think they're still very curious about what technology can manage to do. I think yeah. it's just the case that rather than asking a person as they once might have, their first port of call will be technology um, yeah. to try and find things out. But then it'll often take them um, deeper or they'll come back to their teachers. One of the things that students did say after lockdown was that actually once we started doing live lessons rather than just posting work, they much preferred it because okay. um, they didn't have someone there to explain things to them and help them. Yeah. And that curiosity is still there. It's just different from when we were kids. Yeah. And yeah, so that's one of the advantages as well because they could just quickly get a video up and they could have their questions answered or they could have a tutorial online. And so in that case, uh, in that sense, it is definitely an advantage. I think Sarah is back with us. Do you want to tell us about the impact on handwriting? 
Yes, oh, don't you just love technology? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think with, it's interesting one handwriting as an English teacher because obviously I, I, I really like to see lovely, beautiful cursive handwriting. And I have to say that um, we have a lot of uh, children from other countries that have, have grown up in other countries and had a different type of cursive talk to them. They have beautiful handwriting. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the kids that have, have lived... Uh, all their lives here, their, their writing isn't as good. And I think what Hannah was saying about not having that emphasis on, oh, it doesn't matter because I can use a laptop because they're given a device or they have a device. So they think to themselves, well, how much am I really going to write after school? And I, yeah. I think... It is, I think it's still important. I do think it's still important handwriting because I, I, it's not it's not just writing that we're talking about here. It's the um, the motor skills that's needed yes. to hold a pen or a pencil. It's you know Hannah's a senko and she'll have much more experience with this. But <laughs> yeah. one of the things that we ask children when we're looking at um, special educational needs is how do they hold their knife and fork? How do they hold a pen? How yeah. does their handwriting? Because it's a really good indicator of their fine motor skills. So I do think writing is still important. I do think that learning to write quickly and neatly is helpful, especially if, you know, you go in a job where you have to take notes. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that is super important. So, yeah, I, I still hold handwriting quite high up there on my list of um, list of pleasing things in, as being an English teacher. Thank you so much. And uh, somebody else shares your passion. Go on, Hannah. Yes. Slight aside, but... When you guys were at school, did you have to use fountain pens? I remember we had a teacher, and it was a hill she would die on. Mrs. Powell, she was an amazing teacher, but you had to write in a fountain pen in her class. And now I'm just grateful if the kids have a you know black biro in their hand. Uh, when <laughs> yes. they yeah, you're absolutely right, Hannah. In fact, um, we used to uh, have kind of we'd compare pens. So if you had a um, a branded pen that was very well known at the time um, mm -hmm. and it had a very nice nib and it had a very <laughs> nice cartridge that went in it and the ink used to last for ages it didn't smudge then you had you know you were top class but if you had the cheap fountain pen that used to easily bend and break on the page yeah and biros weren't allowed when I was at school you, you wasn't allowed you wasn't even allowed to write in black ink it was blue ink and it was a fountain yeah. pen and it, it wasn't wow. a, a biro mm. Quite frankly, today, if our students have a pen, count yourself blessed. <laughs> You're absolutely <laughs> Much right. less trying to be specific. Yeah. <laughs> count yourself blessed. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, those are some of the challenges. Now, there is somebody online. Kelly, hi. Kelly shares your passion about handwriting. And she says, it saddens me that we're moving away from the focus on handwriting as a society. And uh, she, she said she writes uh, cursively and was taught that way as well from her very early days in primary school. And she finds it much faster, much faster form of writing, which aided her in note taking and importantly here, stamina in university. And I agree with that because when I was at university, I had to take notes and then you had to take the notes so it's legible so you can see it afterwards. So we had to pay attention to that. And, um, and she has a question here. Will all lecture notes be typed in the future? In which case, should we have a touch typing curriculum in primary? Very good question. What do you think? Should we introduce that to the curriculum if that's the way we're going? Yeah, I mean, I, I th that's a very good point. Actually, in fact, mm. I remember when I was 
uh, we're talking about technology, when I was in, I did office technology as a GCSE, um, and in office technology, we learned how to type. And we used to have a program, the touch typing program, to try and teach us how to touch type on the typewriter. It was an electronic typewriter, so it was, you know, half old, half new. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we used to get taught that at secondary school, but I, I, I'm not sure how much they teach children now, the touch mm -hmm. type. Okay, I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know if it happens anymore. Hannah? So I absolutely think it should be taught in primary school. Um, perhaps right when we start teaching children to use the computer. But then recently um, I said this to a student and the student stared at me and said, but miss, my tablet doesn't have a keyboard. I thought, oh yeah, are we still going to have keyboards already? Quite a lot of people who are taking notes in lectures, they're kind of taking pictures of stuff, they're tapping away yes. on their... Um, touch screens, they're doing yes. little voice notes themselves. So are we at the point where touch, teaching touch typing, that's a tongue twister, where teaching touch typing is soon <laughs> going to be getting towards being obsolete, a bit like us being taught how to write so beautifully with our um, fountain pens. Yeah, I agree. Even now my A-level students are asking, oh miss, can I just take a picture of that? And, and even students lower down and I mean, mobile phones are not allowed in schools and they're like, miss, may I take a picture of that please? just to avoid writing the notes in their books. And then are they remembering it? Um, I know that there's science that shows that reading things from paper rather than from a screen actually helps it embed more in the brain. Yeah. Is that true of writing? If you write notes, are you remember more than taking photos? Yeah, so that's something to really look into and that would make for an interesting discussion another time. But thank you. Thank you for your input as well, Kelly. We appreciated that. Um, and we, I just wanted to talk about typewriters briefly because uh, in typing and Sarah, you mentioned you had a half old, half new. I remember uh, doing my first degree back in Jamaica and I had one of the godfathers of typewriters and with the ribbon and you typed and when it got to the end you pulled it back and you slammed it forward <laughs> that that's where i'm coming from so yeah and then then it was very relevant you had to learn to touch type because you're doing a twenty thousand word dissertation you had to know what you were doing uh Go on, Sarah, you want to add to that? Yeah, I, yeah we, I didn't have that, that sort of typewriter. But when I very first started doing the office technology, we, um, we had a typewriter that we used to, um, I'm not sure if it's a ribbon, I, don't, I'm not, I can't remember what it was called, but we used to have these little Tipex sheets <laughs> that you used to put the Tipex in. And when you typed the letter over the Tipex, it, it got rid of the, the yep. bad typing that you've just done. So we started on those and then the electronic typewriters came in, which had one line of text visible at any one point, which was amazing because you could delete, you didn't need the Tipex anymore. Nope. And then we moved on to the, and then it was onto the, the word processors and oh, yes. DOS and all, the, all of those things. But yeah, I remember the typewriters. We got so excited, yeah. so excited to go on the typewriters. It was great. Oh yes. Oh wow. See, and see, that's it. So every step of the way, Technology excited us, you know, and uh, it doesn't matter at what period, something that was different and new was exciting. And I'm um, still talking about handwriting. Jamelia said, um, and thank you for your contribution, Jamelia. She said, I was taught cursive, but it made me a little slower and we had to write in fountain pen, which made my writing really messy. But I only type now at work, uh, so my handwriting is very bad. 
And I can actually vouch for that because I have seen Jamelia's handwriting. But uh, who am I to say anything? Uh, unfortunately, mine isn't any better. Um, so still talking about technology before we go to the news, I wanted to make reference to the fact that dictionaries seem to be becoming obsolete. And I hope not. I really hope not. I love a good old dictionary. But at the moment, uh, I can't say to my students, find the meaning of this word in your dictionary. At the moment, I find myself saying, go to your devices and find the meanings of these words. And I'm thinking, oh, how I miss the pages of a dictionary being turned, how I miss teaching students how to use the alphabet to get them to understand how to find the words. So my guests, what do you think? Are you still using dictionaries? Is it still a requirement on the English department's budget? Please tell me we are still using it somewhere. We absolutely are at my school. We don't have devices in the classroom. We have a few students okay. across the school, um, an increasing number who do use laptops to type their notes. Um, but when don't allow devices, phones are off. They don't um, use devices as standard unless it's an IT lesson. Um, yeah. So yeah, in the English department, we have dictionaries and I love it when they're doing an assignment and the hands start going up saying, can I have a dictionary or can I check the thesaurus? Amazing. Um, yeah. And, and at the moment, they haven't got all the kind of turn to page whatever and circlings and rude things either. They're in really nice condition. Oh, awesome. That sounds ideal. Hannah, we'll have to talk off air about that particular school because that is ideal. I know yeah, we struggled with uh, <laughs> students defacing or dictionaries and writing all sorts and focusing on a particular page, uh, a particular section of the dictionary. I'm sure you recall that as well. Oh, yeah. Sarah, what do you think? Are we still using dictionaries? Oh, that's a really good question, that one, because um, I started to get the kids, we, when we do keywords, so I'd get the children to, you know, they'd look up the keyword, we'd discuss it. And then one day the internet went down and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something that I did when I first started teaching, which was a dictionary detective. And I made it a bit of a competition. So we started, we got the dictionaries out. And what was, was a bit frightening at first was that the kids didn't know how to use the dictionary. They didn't realise yeah. that it was all alphabetical and, you know, it was easy. So I had to show them how to use the dictionary. And they absolutely love it. It's become a bit of a competition. And they keep asking me now, can we do dictionary detective? Because I give them a word and the fastest person to find the word and the meaning will get a merit point. Um, so and it's usually like five words from a, a document that we're going to read, an extract or something. Um, and they absolutely love it and they like the feel of, of the dictionaries and who's going to be the fastest because it's a little bit more fun than just typing in a word and looking it up so yeah we yeah. absolutely use the dictionaries still yeah. that's so good to know and you've given me hope ladies because I thought our dictionary is becoming obsolete so I'm happy that in some other parts of the world dictionaries are still very important we're going to pause for a moment and uh, listen to today's news and then we'll resume. Please stay tuned and continue to send in your questions or your comments. This is Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, bear with me a little bit. Um, I just need to get to the news and I will in a moment. I think, yeah, here we go. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. 
Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Ofsted finds itself in the news again as inspections paused for two week period to allow inspectors to undertake mental health awareness training begin again on the 22nd of January. ITV News shared the results of a survey of almost 2000 school leaders which showed that 97% support the removal of single word judgments. The survey carried out by NAHT Union followed the outcome of the inquest into the death of Ruth Perry. The union has urged Ofsted to implement a number of changes, including a mechanism for school leaders to halt an inspection where an inspector's conduct falls below standards, extending the notice period schools receive for inspection, and asking them to revert to a process, however temporarily, of ungraded inspections similar to those conducted during the pandemic. Meanwhile, the BBC reports that Ofsted has apologised fully for the first time for the role it played in Ruth Perry's death. The apology came at the same time as Ofsted responded to the coroner's prevention of future deaths notice. In the PFD response, new Ofsted chief Sir Martin Oliver said, such tragedies should never happen again, and that he apologised sincerely for the part inspection played in her death. Since the death of Mrs Perry, schools judged as inadequate on safeguarding alone are now re-inspected within three months. Ofsted also changed its confidentiality rules to allow heads to speak to colleagues, family, friends and health professionals about outcomes of inspections before the report is actually published. The Department for Education has committed to working with Ofsted to review things during a consultation in the spring, which it is calling the Big Listen. Education unions praised Ofsted's positive steps, but said they were only the beginning. The weather has been front and centre of the news this week, with schools across parts of Wales and Scotland being forced to close due to snow. Icy conditions and weather warnings made for tricky travel and forced school closures in areas badly affected. For those concerned that the post-pandemic impact of remote learning would mean the end of snow days, pictures on social media and local news proved that this was not always the case. But anyone worried that the icy blasts will last can be assured that the weather is set to return to normal over the next few days. Authors, including Sir Michael Morpogo and Mallory Blackman, have written an open letter urging the government to invest in early years reading, 
According to a book trust survey, only half of children between one and two from low income families are read to daily, with some families struggling to access books and being in need of support. The letter from authors is addressed to both Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Labour leader Sakir Starmer and says it is not right that children from poorer backgrounds are deprived of a life rich in reading. Sir Michael Mopogo is president of the Charity Book Trust and helped launch their new campaign Get Reading to support disadvantaged children in family reading. He spoke on BBC's Radio 4's Today programme saying that the younger that children are introduced to the power of stories, the better chance there is of putting them on an extraordinary pathway of knowledge, understanding and empathy. He also said that books need to be free at the point of delivery, like the health service. A DfE spokesperson said, We are committed to raising literacy for children. But Sir Michael said that these efforts are clearly not enough. Finally, The Guardian features an article which looks at research in America that appears to show that children learn better on paper than on screens. The research follows headlines across the pond which focused on the nationwide collapse in reading scores among American youths, citing a four-point drop in the comprehension skills of 13-year-olds, falling below skill levels of 1971 for the worst-performing students. Politicians appear to be assigning blame to the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns, with remote learning being labelled as bad for students by the Biden administration. Others blame teachers who they say lobbied for lockdowns. However, the article itself focuses on a new study by neuroscientists at Columbia University's Teachers College, which appears to show there is a clear advantage to reading a text on paper rather than on a screen because it leads to what they describe as deeper reading. A sample of 59 children aged 10 to 12 were asked to complete a series of tasks, which led researchers to conclude that we should not yet throw away printed books and shouldn't rely on the digital revolution just yet. Further details can be read on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. How apt. So there you have it. Our sponsors uh, got a good deal just then. So I hope you've been listening to that and perhaps check them out. Um, how apt. Don't don't ch- ch- uh, throw away the books just yet. Uh, yeah, just hang on a little bit, everybody. And let's keep them in those cupboards because we might have to resort to them at some point. Um, so just before the, the news, we had some lovely discussions. And I'd just like to continue as we enter the last few minutes of the show. And my lovely guests, thank you so much so far for really engaging with the topic tonight and for those of you who've been online. So here's my question. We've agreed that technology has really exploded in that we can see evidence of it in every part of our teaching practice. And we're able to look comparatively of where we started and where we're at today. So how has technology enhanced your own teaching practice? Uh, I'll start with you, Hannah. How has it enhanced your teaching practice? It's made me a lot more confident. I mean, you were saying earlier about having to go away and really study the poems on your own and that kind of thing. And I love that if something comes up I'm going to be teaching about, I can just pop online and make sure I really have got that. Um, It makes it much easier to share resources with colleagues and students. Uh, during the pandemic, it did enable us to at least keep teaching a bit. Um, 
and trying to make progress. And I think it's so much part of our society that um, it's probably doing a lot more that we're not even thinking about. It just kind of makes everything a bit easier, but we also have to just think, are we getting it right and not using things for the sake of using them? Thank you so much. Yeah. So as we said earlier, there are some benefits. Sarah, share with us, please. Um, how has it enhanced your teaching? Now, something you might not know, but Sarah, I know her as the technology, <laughs> the technology queen back in the day where she was responsible for bringing in innovative ideas. So tell us, how has that enhanced your teaching practice? Yeah, thank you for that. The, uh, <laughs> the technology <laughs> person. Um, Champion, yes. Yeah, I, I absolutely love technology in the classroom. I just think it's, it's underused. I use it all the time for everything. So we, the school that I'm at at the moment, we use technology for things like just testing the, the skills of the, the kids. We might have a little, you know, a virtual post-it notebook, that sort of thing for quick sort of AFL. Um, mm -hmm. I use visualizers all the time, which is part of the, the technological boom, I suppose. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love a bit of modeling. Um, and I don't mean in like in front of the camera. I mean, yeah, you <laughs> could do that as well. Sarah. I you could, could do that. that. Well. I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'd love technology. And I, I think you just have to be careful because the children are very savvy. Yes. Um, but I have learned how to be able to switch tabs on their Chromebooks, how I can look at their history briefly, quickly to see mm. what website they've just shut down quickly. So I'm a little <laughs> bit savvy now and I, I do a lot of um, sort of checking and checking in on them. And you, like you said earlier, you can always check if they're, they're typing something on a Chromebook or something like that. But yeah, yeah technology, I use it all the time. It, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's woven in, within the very fabric of my teaching it's, and I love it. <laughs> I know I think that. it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a fabulous resource. Yeah. Thanks for that, Sarah. And before you go, actually, because you mentioned that um, you use it a lot. It's now formed a part of the tapestry of your own practice. Um, and I do know that you've run CPD sessions as well for staff to encourage staff to keep up with the um, <clears throat> advancement of technology. So my question is, do you think teachers are capitalizing effectively on what technology has to offer? Or do you think students have gone ahead of us? Uh, I don't think they're there yet. Those those children, they're not. We're always a little bit a step ahead at the minute. So every time they get a step forward, I think as a teaching profession, there's always somebody out there that will develop something to help our practice and yeah. to make and to decrease workload. Um, and a, an example of that is using AI, which you know there's yes. there's lots of debates about AI in the classroom, um, but there are some really good sort of AI. Uh, software that you can use that can really help like you know just for making quick quizzes like yeah. forms and little quizzes that they multiple choice questions so you don't have to sit there and type it all out little things like that can really help and I think the kids think they're being savvy they think yeah. they're one step ahead <laughs> um you know uh, for example my son's in university and and he you know part of his uh, assessments that they were using 11 out of 20 of them use, used an AI generator to generate oh, their yes. assessments. But, the, the you know, we're all human and we read it and we can tell straight away that it's AI. So of I course. think they think they're being clever, but I think us as adults, not just teachers, as adults, we're a little bit further ahead than they are. They yeah. haven't caught us up yet. 
Uh, thank you, Sarah. And thank you for pointing that out, because that's one of the things I wanted to briefly make reference to, because recently uh, my students did a piece of coursework and one particular student submitted his. And I read the very first sentence and then I said, right, you didn't write this. And he went, oh, oh yes, Miss, my, my tutor helped me to write it. So I waited for the end of the lesson, took him aside and said, right, come here, let's have a chat. Who wrote this? And he went, yeah, yeah, AI, miss, okay. So that's one of the things we're battling at the moment because as teachers, we know our students. We, we, we know their idiolect and their styles of writing. And then when they come out with these thesis, like <laughs> coursework and essays, you're right, Sarah. They think that, oh yeah, I can trick miss and just uh, get this to be computer generated and submit. But yeah, we, we always have to be one step ahead of them. Hannah, what do you think? Do you think we're capitalizing effectively on technology? I think Sarah is. Um, Sarah, I think I need some CPD with you, please, because what you're doing sounds awesome. <laughs> you're um, welcome. I think, um, I think we're getting there. Uh, I think in some things, the students are ahead of us. Um, I mean, during lockdown, I had um, some friends of mine who also had students at the school messaging and saying, by the way, my kid doesn't attend your lesson live. They wait to watch the recording back and watch it a time and a half. It doesn't take so long. Um, oh. Things like that. Um, and for some things, you know, they, they're very good at finding information and apps that can do stuff. And for other things, you know, they, they don't mm -hmm. really um, know enough yet. Um, I think we're getting there. And the more we have experts um, who are also teachers or educators getting involved in technology, and the yeah. more kids are growing up learning how to program and learn to think about things you know, from an ethical point of view. And they might be taught how to use Word, but they're taught how to program. They're taught how to create things in school now. I think mm -hmm. in the next 15 years, we're going to see much more exciting and appropriate shifts and maybe some more guidance about how technology should be used in the classroom as well. Because yeah. it's a wild area at the moment. That is excellent. And of course, uh, Sarah, there you go. You've got to prepare some CPDs to help those of us who are not as confident uh, in the use of technology. I know you tried your best with me and I think I'm doing fairly well. So thank You're you. Very but very well, uh, Michelle, yes. very well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. So before we go, um, if there's one thing that's technologically related that you could remove from the classroom or remove that impacts on us negatively, what would it be and why? So in all of this advancement in technology, what's that one thing that is a bugbear and you would get rid of it if there's anything? Students texting on their watches. <laughs> yes, in some schools, they're not even allowed those because of, yeah, we've that banned, problem. We've banned the phones, but the watches are hard to spot, and especially with some sick formers. Um, mm. you'll become aware they're kind of tapping at their wrist a bit you know, not checking your heart rate are you you're texting your girlfriend <laughs> who is by the way across the clock oh my goodness yeah so there we go I didn't even think of that as a school I'm in at the moment uh, they're not allowed watches at all to avoid that problem uh, Sarah how about you what's that one thing you would want to get rid of Oh, I'm torn here. There's two. Th there's two things. I'm, I'm going to try and narrow. Go for it. it. But I would say I hate all the online games that they can pick up still. 
So they just quick these quick little games that we used to play on little tiny like Game Boy type things. Yeah, uh, those sorts of games. I wish I couldn't access them at school. I wish there was a filter system or something to get rid of those. Um, but also the thing that's really my big bugbear is the children that create a, a word document that they all share, and then they all mm. write on the same document. It's, it's the old. It's, <laughs> I used to pass notes in class. They don't oh, do I that see. anymore. Mm -hmm. I, that they all type on so they, hmm. I know I'm pretty good at spotting it I can spot the ones that are trying to type and I can see what's good they little sniggers little side eyes but I want to get rid of that facility of being able to to share one document it's good for teachers to share with their students everyone yeah. can you know put the, the virtual post-it notes on but yeah I think I'd want to get rid of that Get rid of that. Oh, so gone, gone are the days or those days are going when as a teacher, you could intercept those notes and just find out the latest gossip, huh? I love to do it. I, <laughs> yeah, so I, didn't, oh, I used to, in my early days of teaching, I used to read the note out for maximum embarrassment. <laughs> uh, I'm sure a number of us have, uh, have done that. Oh, yes. And they turn bright red or so embarrassed because we intercept, we read it out. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I'd just like to say a big thank you to Hannah and Sarah for joining me tonight on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you. That was so engaging. Uh, I've got some takeaways as well and some things to reflect on. Thank you for your time because I know it's midweek and you're probably tired and you have planning to do, but thank you so much. Thank you to all our listeners. Thanks for your contributions, your questions. Thanks for your thumbs up. It was my first show on Teachers Talk Radio, so thank you for your support. Have a lovely evening and tune in same time in two weeks' time for another lively and engaging discussion. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a pleasant evening. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.